You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. Have you ever noticed that great accomplishment, celebration, and singing often go together? You see it in the Bible and you see it in culture today in North America, don't you? When Israel crossed the Red Sea and they landed on the other side and the waters came back together, what did they do? They stopped and celebrated and sang, Exodus 15. What about when David came back from battle? The people lined the streets and sang, Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands, First Samuel 18. What happens when someone wins Olympic gold? There's a medal ceremony and they play and sing the national anthem. It's all the same kind of stuff. But you know, in the last generation, there's one example of this that really stuck out in my mind in a strange kind of way. It was a world-shaping event, but it also happened within about three weeks of my uh, first child being born. So I have all these interesting memories of holding a newborn and watching news. It's kind of, you'll understand once I start telling the story. Uh, it's of the city of Berlin. In the last, um, it, following World War II in 1945, Berlin was a divided city. Even though it was one su- city, it was controlled in half by the East Germans and the Soviets, and the other half was, half was controlled by the West Germans and the Allies. Surprisingly, people could move back and forth across the city for work, to shop, or for entertainment, but, but they were to remain citizens of their side of the city. And for the next 16 years, there were uneasy tensions, but they did manage to make it work, aside from a few fairly significant skirmishes. However, people from the East were constantly escaping to the West for what they thought was a better life. And uh, it really reached its peak in 1961, in August 1961, when in the first 11 days, 16,000 people escaped from East Germany. And then on August 12th, almost Uh, 2,400 people escaped, and that was it for the East German government. Without, uh, seemingly overnight, they decided they were going to build a wall of concrete and barbed wire, and over the span of two weeks, they built that wall, and they stopped people from escaping from East Germany and Eastern Berlin. Communities were divided, families were broken, and life in as people knew it in the East, ended as the Cold War escalated. However, in 1989, fall of 1899, when my first child was born, there were changes with the national leadership in Russia and the Cold War started to thaw. And in, on November 9th, 1989, the head of the East German Communist Party announced that citizens of the East could again cross into the West. And that night, huge ecstatic crowds crossed over and others arrived at the wall with picks and hammers and it all started to come down. That weekend, more than two million people crossed from east to west to spontaneously celebrate their freedom. One journalist called it the greatest street party in the history of the world. On one hand, people were celebrating that the wall was down, yes, and they could move back and forth across the city, yes. On the other hand, they were celebrating something so much deeper, so much more profound. The wall was a symbol of captivity, of bondage, of ideological control, 
When the wall came down, it meant the change in so many aspects of their life. They weren't just celebrating this physical structure was removed so that their garden would get more sunlight or their front window had a better view. They were celebrating a new course of history, a life with better opportunities for their kids, of ex being able to express their faith. The destruction of the wall gave them hope for economic prosperity, of new opportunity, of freedom in ways they had only dreamed. It was, the number of weeks after that, it was just amazing. But there was one celebration that really stood out. And on Christmas Day, 1989, about six weeks after it all started, in East Germany, in East Berlin, in the concert hall there, an amazing group of musicians was pulled together under the conductor Leonard Bernstein, the American Jew. He pulled players together, the finest players from London, Paris, New York, Dresden, and St. Petersburg symphonies. And with them, they were joined by the Bavarian Radio Chorus. That was the chorus from West Berlin, the equivalent group from what used to have been East Berlin, and the Children's Choir from the Dresden Philharmonic. These are world-class musicians all the way around. And what did they play and sing? Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Now, some of you here are going, ah, and some of you are going, huh? <laughs> That's okay. I think many of you will know it. It was actually, uh, the words to that song had been changed and altered and set to a hymn. So I'll sing you a little bit of Beethoven's Ninth, and you see if you can join along. Do, 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 do. Everyone now. Yeah, there you go. Way to go. That's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in the fourth movement. Known across the world, the original words, words talk about the joy of brotherhood. Bernstein changed the words. He made it about the freedom of true brotherhood. The concert hall was packed, no surprise, but they set out... Uh, it was recorded and they had speakers in the square and there's pictures of the square are just flooded with people and it was broadcast internationally around the globe on Christmas Day and you can still buy these recordings today it's considered one of the great recordings of Beethoven's Ninth you see they weren't just celebrating that the wall was down it was so much more and in today's text, we'll see a great accomplishment and celebration and singing coming together as well. And even though in Germany, they celebrated the wall coming down and the Israelites in Nehemiah are celebrating the wall going up, there's a tremendous number of similarities in this uh, passage. So today we're going to look at this passage, Nehemiah 12, and ask ourselves three things. We're looking at the dedication of the wall. We're asking, how did they dedicate the wall? What was the dedication and celebration really all about? And what can we learn from it? How did they do it? What was it about? And what can we learn from it? So let's jump into that. Nehemiah 12, how did they do it? Carol, do you want to come up and join me? Carol's a good friend of mine. She works on staff. She's far better with complicated names than I am. So we're going to tag team our way through this first point with the help of Carol. Now, I just want to point out uh, that 
if you read the book, it feels like things happened pretty quickly, but it could have been as much as 12 years between the time the wall was finished in Nehemiah 6 and when they dedicated the wall in Nehemiah 12. So there could have been a big gap here when the wall was functioning, but they hadn't done their grand opening or formal dedication. Why don't you just lead us through? Nehemiah chapter 12, starting at verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived. Okay, Levites, that's the temple leaders, came from the whole region. So notice, it's a national celebration. It's not just a local celebration. And were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Hey, see that? Great achievement, celebration, and singing, all coming together, just like the Berlin Wall. Now, note here, too, there were instruments, cymbals, harps, lyres. Commentators actually say, okay, we, can't, we have to pause here. Where did those instruments come from? Uh, and that's a good question, because uh, instruments weren't very common in those days. A number of commentators are pretty sure that at least some of those instruments actually were the actual instruments from David's time. When he wrote the Psalms and so many things were coming together, those instruments were stored in the temple, and then when Israel went into captivity in Babylon, the, Israel, the temple was looted and all the instruments went with them. And a lot of commentators believe that those instruments came back with them when they came out of exile. And so it would have been pretty interesting to see these historic instruments, four or five hundred years old, being used at the same time. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. It said they were ceremonially, ceremonially purified. Now, we're not exactly sure what that meant, but we expect um, that the priests dipped their fingers in, in sacrificial blood from the animals and sort of sprinkled the people. That's what they did to the altar at numerous times in their worship services. They, we think it, everyone who was involved and the walls of the city were all just spattered a little bit to be ceremonial cleaned. Gross. <laughs> I, Nehemiah, had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Uh, give thanks to who? I, I think you have to ask that question. Who are they giving thanks to? It wasn't Nehemiah, even though he deserved tremendous thanks and praise. It wasn't King Artaxerxes in Babylon either. It was God. The people were praising God for helping them build the wall. It was about what God had done for the people and th for the people and through the people. Now, this is an important point, and we're going to come back to it in a little bit, but first we're going to carry on. One, that is one choir was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, 
the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azaral, Melali, Galilai, Ma'ai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I, Nehemiah, followed them on top of the wall together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the, the Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. So what we have here, you can see on the map there, with the arrow that's pointing to the right, that's probably our best guess, where they ascended to the wall. And half the choir went down south and around and up. And the other choir, the second choir, started at the same place but went north to the Tower of Ovens and around. And they both stopped somewhere on the backside of the, of the wall uh, and came down and wait, went into the temple. Now, it's a long procession. And uh, they were, apparently were singing the whole way. Wouldn't that have been quite the sight? Now, do you remember back in the spring when they were reading about the, where we were studying about the opposition of the wall being built? In uh, Nehemiah 4.3, Tobiah the Ammonite mocked the Israelites and said, you know, even a fox climbing on this wall is going to knock it down. Don't you see what they're doing here? All the city officials were on top of the gate. They had hundreds of people singing. It's like, yeah, this is no fox. The, 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 the city officials were on top of the gate sort of showing everyone, look, this is solid and you know, I'll stand by it. They did a great job. It was such an affirmation to the people who built the wall. So two choirs walking all the way around the wall, including the city officials, and they stop and then they go to the temple. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. And so did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamin, Mikiah, Eluanai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Messiah, Shemiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Johan, Johan, sorry, Johanan, Johohanan, Milkiah, Elam, and Ezer. The choir sang under the direction of Jezariah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Now, we have to be careful in this scene not to read our Western uh, art music ideas into what's happening here. It's an ancient Near Eastern scene. Um, we're used to having choirs perform and everyone sits quietly and listens and the appropriate time we clap. And if we clap at the appropriate time or engage in the inappropriate time, everyone around us looks and goes. And 
and that's just what we do, right? If you're at a school choir recital, you wait till it's done and then you clap. If you go to the Messiah this Christmas with, you know, Vox and the Lethbridge Symphony, you wait till the appropriate time and clap. That's not what this scene was about. You see, in ancient Near Eastern times, they didn't have PAs or ways to amplify things electronically. So if they were in an outdoor space or in a big acoustical space like a temple, instead of having one person trying to be heard as best they could, they would double it up with many people speaking in unison so, or singing in unison so it would be much louder. And so here you have to realize what the choir was, was the worship team leading the people. It wasn't a performance group that everyone stad stood silently and listened. The choir was the leaders and encouraging everyone around to join in. There wasn't a gap between performers and audiences that we feel in our terms today. All the people who were present considered them presenters before God, and God was the audience of one. That's really important to remember what's happening here. Every, the whole city was celebrating, being led by the officials in the choir. And did you all notice that they landed at the, at the end of the procession in the house of God, in the temple? The procession and the worship service were one thing together, and it made a powerful statement of their love for God and their thankfulness to him for all he had done. Now, we're not quite done yet. Let's hear the last piece. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring to the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and the gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Thank you so much, Carol. Let's just thank Carol for her. So the celebration wasn't done when the singing and the worship service was completed. They continued by taking a great offering. The offering went to the temple worship so it could continue. You see, temple worship had fallen into disuse and disregard. And uh, with these offerings, it could continue. So there we have it. Great accomplishment, the wall being built, celebration and singing all going together. A grand celebration. So that's how, that's what they did. And now let's look, what was it all about? What was it all about? In short, in their world, it was all about God and what he did. And in this respect, you can see Israel got it right. This is one of those moments you could look and say, yes, they got it right, and we have to look at that as we try and learn from it. You know, it would have been easy for this nation to get distracted, to celebrate their achievements, to focus on their work and their efforts. Even though they said everything was done in God's name, you know, you can lose your concentration. They could have responded by saying, that was fantastic, what's next? What's the next project we can get into? What's the next thing we can build? What's the next? that we can be looking towards. 
They could have become proud of their administrative ability and how they got things done. And to be honest, it's easy for us to fall into that trap here, isn't it? You know, the North American church, the evangelical church, it's marked by activism. We like to do things, build things, and jump in on a crisis. And a tremendous amount of good has come from that. I am not saying there hasn't. But there's always this danger that we replace loving God with being busy for God. Mark Galley is the former editor-in-chief from Christianity Today magazine. And while I don't see eye to eye with him on everything, he has some very good insights. He writes, For some decades now, as evidence to my writing, I believed that American Christianity has been less and less interested in God and more and more in doing things for God. We've learned to be, how to be effective for him to the point we don't really need him any longer. Galley goes on to say, we substitute time spent in prayer and devotion with programs and projects. We're so good with our administration and organization, we don't have to rely on God's strength to help us achieve our goals. Uh, yeah, and you know, be honest, I can feel these temptations too. And I can feel them in this church and other churches that I'm in touch with. You know, God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to use the tools that we have. He wants us to be able to use the techniques we know to lead people well, but never to replace reliance on God and waiting on God through prayer. You know, there's a lot more I could say about this, but I'm going to go back to the text. You can just sort of think about that a little bit as you head into the week. You know, this is, in this text, the Jews got it right at this point. They gave credit to God for all he had done through them and in them. And yes, they were dedicating the wall they had built to God, but it was so much more. Like the falling of the Berlin Wall, the erecting of the Jerusalem Wall symbolized a freedom from oppression. People couldn't attack them in the same kind of way they had all along. They could survive much better. It was a return to a way of life and a return to a way of faith. In a sense, they felt they'd return home to who they knew they should have been all along. They realized that God had been faithful for centuries and generations, and even though they had been through blessings and struggles, all of them pushed them towards a vibrant and profound faith. Let me just give you a bird's eye view of, a, of their history for a moment. The Jewish people started with the person of Abraham, didn't it? Abraham, God met with Abraham, and God revealed himself as the God of promise. And then the next generation, Isaac, where God revealed himself as the God of redemption. Then Jacob, where God revealed himself as the God of second chances. Jacob got it wrong time and time again, and yet God was faithful and kept, kept coming back to him. After that, we look at Moses, the God who leads, and then Joshua, where God showed himself as the God who was victorious. And then after Joshua, they were in the promised land, and they were in it for hundreds of years. Unfortunately, there were many ups and downs, weren't there? Many ups and downs. And God warned them repeatedly, love me and you'll flourish. Turn away from me and you'll be punished. And eventually they were captured and taken into Babylonian captivity, 586 BCE. And they kept their national identity while in captivity. And then when, when they were able to return, when the leadership of Babylon changed, they eventually returned to their land of Judea. They came back in three waves, didn't they? 538 was Zerubbabel, and that's when the temple was rebuilt. 
and then a second wave under Esther, a third wave under Nehemiah. And Nehemiah helped them rebuild the wall. But things didn't stop there. Remember, Nehemiah had Ezra teach the people the law of God, Nehemiah 8. Do you remember that sermon? Preston preached that one. He talked about how they stood for six hours listening to the law of God. Preston made the very good case. They stood for six hours. And a lot of us were thinking, oh my goodness, I can hardly make it through one of your sermons, Ken. But six hours. And what was the people's response? They broke down in tears. They were, they were cut to the quick. They repented. And then what happened next that led people to confessing their sins, Nehemiah 9, and eventually into national repentance, a kind of revival. And it culminated in Nehemiah 10, where people made a vow to renew their commitment to God. That was Jeremy's most recent sermon. Remember, and Jeremy challenged us to make a commitment to God, and many people came forward. And that brings us to this moment. Yeah, they were celebrating being back in their land. They were celebrating their wall. They were also celebrating a return to their faith. I'm sure when they heard all the singing, they were thinking of King David, who probably wrote some of those songs. And they were thinking of the king who pointed them to God, who had a man a heart after uh, God. They thought of the faith of Solomon, who built the first temple, and they were standing there in the uh, second rebuilding of the temple. They remembered their roots and the things that made them the people of God. They realized that God loved them and they loved God. They found their compass and it pointed them heavenward. Now, I wonder if we should do this kind of thing every once in a while. Ephri has a rich heritage too. Years of steady growth, fruitful maturing. We've been led by God-fearing men and women of integrity. We've had a few tough years, but we're already starting to see God's hand in it. And I just want to encourage you, you know, over lunch today, when you're with your family or your friends or whoever you're with, maybe just pause and say, you know, they celebrated with singing as they looked back over their heritage. What are the things that we should be very thankful for? Maybe you'd want to think about your family. There's many in you in this congregation who look back to parents, grandparents, great-grandparents who have passed on the faith. Oh, there's so much to be thankful for in that. Some of you are sitting here in this room and, you know, you're the first one in your family who's ever been a believer, you know. Well, maybe that's worth celebrating too. Think of the heritage that you can pass on to those around you now. I, I think this is one of those things that Israel did right that we can learn from. They looked back to what God had done, and it was blessed. So that is, how did they do it? What was it about? And now let's ask, what can we learn from it? What can we learn from it? There's so many things we can talk about, but we're going to look at only two. The first is this, as we allow God to work in us and through us, he can accomplish more than we could ever Imagine, as we allow God to work in us and through us, he can accomplish more than we could ever imagine. You know, when the first Jews returned from exile, no one thought the wall could be rebuilt. No one. And no one tried. And it was more than 90 years before Nehemiah came in. Generations went by. Everyone said, this is hopeless. I'm not even trying. 
and it was hopeless until God raised up a man to help them do it. You know, and when it happened, they did it in less than two months, 52 days. Impossible. Well, not when God's behind it. And you know, when Nehemiah first came to town, remember he got up at night and went around the whole town to assess what needed to be done? I bet he never dreamed of all that was going to happen. I think he thought we were going to build this wall. But you know, they not only did that, the Jews became on fire for God again. So profoundly, they spontaneously give this huge offering to God. They didn't just have intellectual assent. They didn't have just a political will. This conviction of their faith changed their values. It changed their lives. It changed the way they did business. Chose, changed how they, who they chose as their closest relationships. Who, what they talked about. It opened their hearts in ways they never believed possible. It wasn't a corporate turning. It wasn't a political will. It was personal transformation that permeated the nation. As we allow God to work in us and through us, he can accomplish more than we could ever imagine. You know, I know as I say this, there's people in this room who are saying, yeah, good, Ken, good point. It worked in the ancient times. God proved himself. But you don't know my family. You don't know my situation. You don't know my mess. Or you don't know the dream I've had that I'm sure could never happen. God might have been able to do the impossible in the past, but here, today, for me, really? I don't think so. Well, have you talked to God about it? Have you prayed to God about it? Why don't you do that? Maybe that's the first step that we should all take. You know, at the end of the service, there's going to be people up here on the prayer team in the gym. There's going to be people up front as part of the prayer team. If you're online, you can email us at info at efreelethbridge.ca. Why don't you take a first step by praying with someone about it and just see what God might do? God works in ways we never expect. I'm not saying that he's going to accomplish everything that we dream. I'm not saying he's going to do it in the timeline that we want. But, you know, God is powerful and mighty. Just look at what he did for the nation of Israel. He's not finished yet. He hasn't run out of gas. And he loves us as much as he loved them. As we allow God to work in us and through us, he can accomplish more than we could ever imagine. I believe this is true. Let's live like it's true. And lastly, when we see the world through God's eyes, our hearts will overflow with thankfulness for all he has done. As I said, Israel got it right. We see Israel's great celebration on top of the wall. We hear it in their voices as they thank God. Yes, they suffered. Yes, it was challenging at times. But ultimately, through all of this, their hearts turned back to God. And that's what they profoundly longed for, even though they didn't always realize it. Their, German, their journey is very well summarized by Augustine, who says, Our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And while they had so much to be thankful for, we, in fact, have even more to be thankful for, don't we? Worship team, come on up.
God helped them build a wall to protect them from their neighboring nations who were going to attack them or could have attacked them. But God gives us today Jesus, who is our fortress and our stronghold against all kinds of attacks, both from without and within. You know, God met the ancient Israelites in their temporal sacrifices, but God meets us through Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, God never left the Israelites in exile and eventually brought them back to the land where they were promised, but God is with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and with Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And you know, He doesn't just promise to be with us in the world. He's promised to be with us in eternity, forever. We have so much to be thankful for as a nation, as a church, as individuals. I pray that our church will resound with a song of celebration and thankfulness too. You know, I've talked to Trevor earlier this week and and some others and I said, you know, we need to conclude a message on the dedication of the wall where they sang and praised. We need to end with singing as well. So they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. We've got the choir joining us on the platform as well. Let's all stand together and praise our God. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.